You can get in your fancy yells, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Kylie from the Green Dragon podcast, and I am not coming to you live from Melbourne today. I am coming to you live from Edinburgh. That's right. This is day one, two, and three. A little bit of a recap of what I've been up to on this Around the World SBG tour. And I'll tell you what, my holiday has barely started, and it has already been a blast. I got um, got out of my uh, first games of the trip so far are uh, here with some of the Scottish Army SBG community and I thought I'd tell you all a little bit about what happened to them because they were some absolute bangers of a game. Uh, my first game was up against a, uh, a friend of mine, an Aussie expat uh, by the name of Chris. Uh, and uh, we go back a little way. Uh, we've met uh, a few times back uh, in Melbourne during COVID and stuff. So it was great to catch up with him on the other side of the world. But anyway, you guys want to hear the recap for the game. So let's get straight into it. So we're playing 650 points. I was running my Easterling Dragon Legion army, and Chris had kind of put together a interesting Harad model mix. So a lot of Moran and Orcs, a lot of Harad archers, a couple of Wag Riders spatted in there. Uh, the mortal force was led by a Kardish and Gorbag, so pretty cool there. The Harajan force was led by a Suladan, and for his remaining points, Chris had put in a Shelob, so very nasty, had a lot of potential to really mess up my day. But the thing that worried me the most was the 44 models Chris had brought to the table. And with my low 30 model count army, I was basically out number three to four. And that's not really a great situation you want to be in, especially because I'm paying so many extra points to get this massive fight value buff. Um, but that fight value buff did come in handy, and I'll get into why in a moment. So we were playing Breakthrough. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, it's a scenario where there are four objectives, two on the center line, and two in each opponent's deployment zone. The ones in your opponent's deployment zone are worth more, the ones in your own deployment zone are worth less, and the middles are worth about the same. So I run in, I deploy on my left flank of this little kind of like four house village in the middle of the table, and Chris opts to take the center and he was debating a little bit back and forth about whether he wanted to match my um, forces on my right side and in the end he decided you know what Kylie is far on the right flank I'm going to give her the right flank and I'm going to take the entire rest of the board so he deployed all the way in the center all the way out onto the left and basically had himself you know almost uncontested three of the four objectives so i had a lot of work to do first couple of turns i called the drum because the drum is the easterling's best friend and kind of pushed up a little bit um chris did this really interesting maneuver between two houses he made a giant concave on his side of the house so if i were to come forward out in and engage him i would be moving into almost a semi sort of trap but i'm looking at this little concave looking at this kind of uh, I'm not going to say exploit, but this you know small part of this force, and I'm looking looking at it and going, 
I think I can actually move into this choke here. And then, although it wasn't much of a choke, I'm figuring if I put the Dragon Emperor forward, get him into contact um, with one, I can basically redefine the choke using the Dragon Emperor's 80 mile base. And that's exactly what I did. I ran in, used the Dragon Emperor to create one flank, and Rutabi went into a couple models, and then the Pikes forwarded him in afterwards. So in the end, only you know, one Acolyte and one Eastling Warrior were actually fighting in the front. The rest were done by my heroes with Rutabi and the Dragon Emperor, which was really, really good for me. The Dragon Knight, on the other hand, he went wide. He marched 15 inches straight up the side of the board, hid behind a wall, and started to contest um, Chris's back objective, his back one. Meanwhile, Shelob did exactly the same thing, ran up the guts, and started to contest my left side. So I had to do a bit of finagling. I brought some troops back around the side to guard my rear because... There's one thing I didn't want in this scenario, it was a shield lob to the back of my line that could make an absolute mess of me. Fortunately though, I did manage to get in front of shield lob and uh, luckily for me, shield lob didn't get the first couple of combats going her way, she just couldn't muscle through, I just had one guy into her, threw a couple of pikes in behind, get the three dice there, and yeah, had a decent chance of winning the combat against her too, because Suladan was out of range. He was trying to keep the main body of the force. And this is where I think Chris made his first mistake. I think uh, either Suladan or Gorbag should have gone into a couple of my troops on the first turn, caught a strike, and got some kills. One thing that I found, uh, particularly when you're playing a large model count army against a much more elite army uh, with a lower model count, is you want to maintain that numerical supremacy. In the first turn of combats with my front rank, Rutabi, the Dragon Emperor, and my couple of guys in the front rank all killed six models, which basically started to even up the tide. Now, if you had thrown Suladan into one of a couple of those uh, a couple of those uh, moments, then Suladan would have had the opportunity to strike and save two of his own models, plus killing two of mine. So it would have made the the losses a little bit more bearable. You know, four kills um, to two is a lot better than six kills to zero. But Chris's shooting was keeping him in the game. So on my cavalry that came around the left flank, Chris just decided to open up and just unload. I don't know how just six pitifully little Harajim archers can do so much damage, but they knocked out two of my cataphracts and even managed to pick up an acolyte coming around the flank. Uh, it was, that was brutal because all it left me with was a single acolyte, a single dragonite trying to contest his back objective, and I had to really come up with something very quickly to be able to push that advantage. In the end, I called a heroic combat, uh, pushed my Dragonite further out, well away from any of Chris's heroes, and really pushed for the, the one objective out on the far flank that was only being captured by a bunch of Harajim. I figured, you know what, I'll try to Dragonite in, you know, cut a couple down, a couple of turns, and then should have that objective cleared out. Unfortunately for me though, Chris's shooting was once again keeping him in the game and a shot into combat knocked out the Dragonite's horse out from under him and that, that was a real kick in the teeth. It meant that that objective, whilst I wasn't going to be able to capture it, did mean that I could not take it. The center though started to become a bit more interesting. I kept uh, winning the combats and pushing back and pushing back and pushing back. The fight five was really deterring Suladan and Gorbag from going into the combat and Kardash uh, unfortunately forgot his lighter and couldn't set a fireball off to save his life. What that did mean though was 
after two, three turns, his Morana North front line really, really started to struggle. And the couple of combats he did with, he did kill. But the problem was, without his heroes being able to go in, create brunt of the force, use their might point to get some strikes up, he was in a really bad shape. And eventually, I managed to break through and create a big space. With that space open, Suladan now became a little bit more, you know, vulnerable. He was now being forced to go on the front line. And Chris finally committed him forward, called the strike-ups, and got a few more kills. And I actually mentioned to Chris, I think you should have done this three, four turns ago. And Chris kind of looked at the board and went, yeah, I think you're right. I probably should have. The game played out a bit more. There was a couple of dicey moments where there could have been a, an opportunity for Chris to bounce back and really hit me hard. But my envelopment on the back objectives, being able to uh, do a sneaky heroic combat to reclaim the objectives that my knights had just, for some reason, decided to just all die on, uh, allowed me to get uh, the Dragon Emperor off a dismount onto an objective, capture my, his back objective, net me a couple of points, and then contest the side ones as well as capturing my own ones. Shelob decided to not have a very good day, only having two kills. Now, she did pull a lot of pressure uh, onto that side, but the main thing that I think is very important to kind of consider here is the fact that because I had such a massive lead in the middle, and a massive kill advantage, I was able to afford to spare half a dozen models to contain Shiloh for the majority of the game. And I think that's always something that you have to kind of consider when you're committing your resources, is how much models and how many how much resources do I have that I can appropriately use to contain a certain model or uh, achieve a certain goal in the game. And I think in this one, this game mostly came down to macro decision making, a couple of micro things at the end by me to, to make sure I secure some objectives. But the main thing here was the heroes had not committed their resources into the right spot from Chris, and I had a correctly gauged that I could keep pushing the, the advance in the forward and just grind out Miranda Orcs, which in the end paid in my favor, and I managed to win that game. I believe it was... 6-2 uh, six, six two. Six two in the end, which was a pretty close game. On to set game two, though, I was up against Dave, a Scottish uh, mainstay of the community up here, and this game was absolute fire. I ran back my Easterlings against his uh, Durin's Folk uh, army, so he had a Dwarf King uh, and Durin. Uh, with a whole bunch of mixed match of different models. He had some Iron Guards, some Rangers, some basic boards with shields and bows, um, some Vault Warden teams, some Hearth Guard, all sorts. It's just a big mismatch. But the really interesting thing was he decided not to take the King's Champion and instead opted for just the two basic banners. And I think in this instance, this actually helped him to win the game because it meant he had a banner in each warband. Why was that important? Well, we were playing Divide and Conquer. Divide and Conquer, for those of you that are not unaware, is a scenario with two, uh, sorry, three objectives in the center of the table, the middle one being worth the most and the outer ones being slightly worse. There's also points for leader kill and break. So this game was going to be very interesting indeed. I knew I had the speed advantage since I had a drum uh, and cavalry, and I figured, well, Divide and Conquer, let's just do that, Divide and Conquer. So I went and prayed on the east, uh, on the uh, Dwarf King's Warband and basically sent my whole army at it. I, however, made a slight miscalculation in this uh, in engagement in that I was up against dwarves and the highest strength in my army was strength 
before. I didn't really have much else to do here. It was very hard for me to get wounds in and I basically needed to create traps to make sure that I could get those kills. Remember, as we always say, traps win games. And in this game state, this is exactly what I needed to be able to kill these pesky dwarves because sixes were my absolute bane of my existence in this game. Even three models, four or five attacks trapped, doubling up to 10 strikes, I still couldn't get that elusive six in some of these combats. And what should have been a really quick envelopment actually took a whopping six turns for me to fully envelop and wipe out that warband. And that warband actually came in clutch. They managed to get I think it was at the end of the day, six kills, three of which were my acolytes. And that might not seem like a lot, but it actually was because this was a tanking force. They tanked. They bought so much time that Durin and his entire warband were able to capture one of the far left objectives and the center objectives and screen me off from the center objectives while still maintaining all the resources in that warband. Myself, however, I was down a whopping six points of mine. I went into the final stages of this game with only a point of might on the Dragon Emperor and a point of might on the Eastling Dragon Knight. And that is not a place you want to be in. Ritabi out of might, Dragon Emperor down a couple of points against this Nurin force. I was I was in a bit of trouble and a bit of hurt. I thought this was going to be a little bit tricky if I couldn't get on the objectives. Luckily, I had managed to keep the dwarves away from breaking, so I hadn't uh, propped the game-ending conclusion just yet, and I was waiting and biding my time to do so. I'm trying to be playing as patiently as possible to allow myself the best opportunity to be able to use my drum and my high mobility to get around his flanks, hoping that I had enough models left in the tank and enough resources to be able to get on the objectives. Now, I got a bit lucky here. I baited out Durin to come a little bit further forward off the three-inch line than normally would, uh, he would have liked, but it did allow Durin to have a crack at the, the Dragon Emperor, and I thought, Dragon Emperor, Three wounds, three fate. He's on this big chair. He's got a lot of attacks and other bladed and shield. I've got a might point still in the bag, so maybe I can force out a couple of mites from Durin. And I did. I forced out all of Durin's might, but unfortunately, I lost the Dragon Emperor to one of the most insane and batty combat results I think I've ever had. Imagine the Dragon Emperor and Durin both rolling four highs. Both of us taking banners one at a time and slowly one-upping each other in pips to the point where at the very end it came down to a roll-off of which the Elven Blade lost and then Durin just swings in, does one wound. And I'm thinking, this is my leg. I don't want to give away free victory points. Take my fate. One, one, two. Can't mine out of it. Dragon Emperor Cops wound. And I'm, I was banking on the fact that, you know, my three wounds, three fate hero could at least tank and delay Durin enough for the rest of my army to get in position and then drum onto the onto the middle objective. And here here's the Dragon Emperor just copying one and just falling like a flat on his ass. And that, that it was just absolutely brutal. Uh, in, in that case, I thought, well, this game could suddenly swing the other way here. He's got two objectives. I've only got one. Yes, I've broken him, but he's getting dangerously close to breaking me. At the end of the game, he was four off, which for Dwarves and, and Kazakhstan, it wasn't, you know, wasn't a hard thing to, for him to do. Fortunately for me, though, I somehow managed not to get a kill to start getting the game to end, uh, the game end roll to, to start happening, and managed to get my drum march onto his one objective he's on the very flank, on the, uh, on the far flank, under my control with a couple of cavalry members, and managed to sneak the Dragon Knight into the middle with a couple of other models. His archers, though, I 
this is the one thing I have to say about Dave in this game. He absolutely used his archery absolutely magnificently. I thought I was playing against Jeremy in this game. The amount of times he managed to find shots and create opportunities where his shots could be impactful was absolutely downright batty. I think half his kills in this game actually came from throwing weapons and bow shots. It was the amount of times he kept killing all these clutch models that are about to come in, like a Easterling Cataphract about to run onto the objective, or two Easterling Acolytes who were in this amazing flank position or holding my back. And it was starting to, it was starting to drive me a bit batty because I kept looking at these archers and kept seeing them pick off all these key models in certain spots and actually blunting my charge and my ability to run forward and I was starting to get a bit worried towards the end that maybe his main his secondary force with the uh dwarvish king had actually bought him enough time and it very very nearly did this game was so close it came down to a six four victory in my favor barely managed to scrape it back with a couple of cheeky um Cheeky wounds on uh, Durin at the end game with Rutabi. And this, yeah, this game was absolute fire. I cannot praise Dave's macro decision making enough and his ability to create bow shots where he ought to not have any bow shots um, was simply superb. I have to put have to take my hat off here made me really really think about ways i had to play around it and honestly take some really cheesy uh really cheesy ways of trying to uh stall out the game for another turn so i could get that drum in and honestly i think that's the model that won me this game was the easterling drum because the mobility and the ability to just push out onto objectives and be able to flank and envelop even when you're in the front and, and in the thick of things was absolutely absolutely clutch in, in this game and any of you players out there who have a uh isengar or a mordor or an eastland army get yourselves a drum they will win you games they are that good they are that amazing so yeah looking forward to uh my games coming up uh tomorrow uh, should be a lot of fun there. We've got another couple of games lined up, and hopefully I can uh, not get absolutely hammered at the uh, Fringe Festival uh, again tonight because uh, apparently the uh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival is on at the moment. So that was a bit of a surprise when I finally got up here to Scotland. But uh, yeah, it's been an absolute blast so far. Looking forward to the rest of the trip and looking forward to meeting some new players from around the world, particularly at Articon and a couple of the other tournaments that I will be heading to as well as some of the gaming meetups that I will be attending. So anyway, that's all from me on my, I think my day one, two and three recap. Uh, Hope you all enjoyed it and stay tuned for some more Green Dragon shorts about my trip around the world. Anyway, that's all from me. Trap Swing Games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.